It was a good week. For those of you that served with us this week, thank you so much for serving with us. All-Stars Week was amazing. Y'all give those volunteers a round of applause. It was amazing. Some of you may have gotten our email. We broke uh, records this, this year with uh, numbers and attendance. And not that numbers mean everything, but that what that does mean for us is that we had more kids this year than any other year in this room here in the gospel. And so that's a powerful win. And so we just want to celebrate uh, Ben and Miss Angie Gillis and Mrs. Stephanie Grinstead, who, uh, who helped lead that up. And it was just great. And so we, we've kind of tied All-Stars Week in uh, with our series this, this, this morning. If you haven't picked that up already, you are kind of in the movies. Uh, we're at the movie series for July. And the reason we kind of do that is because we're kind of taking our lead from Jesus. If you read Jesus' stories and, and kind of follow his leading throughout the Gospels, oftentimes he took things that were culturally relevant and he used them to teach people his truth. And so this, this month, what we are doing is we're doing the same thing. We're taking something that we love, like movies. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're a movie buff, but I, I certainly am. I actually worked in movies in high school, and a good action drama, I mean, when things blow up, that's amazing, right? I mean, if you don't like when things blow up, we need to have a real heart-to-heart about your, you know, faith in Jesus. I'm just kidding. But comedies, you know, we love, everybody loves to laugh, or that, that drama where you're kind of in it, and then you cry. I don't cry, but you cry, you know, and we're just kind of, we're kind of in this drama, we're like waiting for the next thing. We just love movies that experience everything about it we love, and so what we've decided to do for this month is to kind of grab onto that and say, man, what are some truths that we can pull out of movies that we believe God has inherently taught us? And so we can see these truths in movies, but as much as movies matter, at the end of the day, they don't matter. What is the truth that does matter? God's Word. And so we're going to go back to God's Word. We'll be in the book of James all month. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 1 this morning. We'll be there. We'll start off in verse 19. So last week we began this, this, this story uh, of walking through the book of James, and what we determined is that the book of James really has kind of four things that it teaches, but it all kind of culminates to answer one question. It, it really wants to define what the definition of true religion is. It really wants to answer this question of what is true religion? You know, in a culture like ours today, the word religion is kind of this almost in a sense cuss word like it's just a word that people don't like i i, I don't know the, the the full extremes to to why but i think in many ways if you were to call yourself a religious person people would go oh yeah really well you can stay over there i think more so oftentimes this may not may not be true in the church but it's certainly true in the world people want to be spiritual because religious has these kind of laws and legalistic I don't know, underlaying language around it. And so we don't want to be religious. We want to be spiritual. But yet if you look into Scripture and the words straight from our Lord to us, he says that religion is a good thing. He kind of, it's actually this Greek word, threskia, and, and it kind of defines religion as a good thing. It, there's nothing bad about it at all. What might be bad about it is that we mess it up, but it in itself is not a bad thing. And so through the book of James, it goes to answer this question of what true religion is. And last week, we, we tackled the, the idea of what does it look like to be a, a truly religious, a, a follower of Jesus in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials. And we tried to answer that question. And this week, per our movie, if you were here at the very beginning, you saw 
Our movie for today is The Lion King. And so we're going to answer the question of what does it look like to be a person who has true religion just in your life. Because I, I think when we look at the story of The Lion King, one of the things that we love about The Lion King is Simba's story. And if you haven't seen The Lion King, here's just like a brief, you know, a little bleep in the radar, brief synopsis of here it is. So Simba, born, little cub, right? He's born to be the king of the Pride Lands. Well, at some point, his uncle, crazy Uncle Scar, puts together a plan, murders his father, and somehow tricks Simba in believing that it's his fault. Simba runs away from this, this pride land, runs to the jungle, and goes hangs out with some hippies named Timon and Pumbaa, and he stays there for several years, and they sing Akuna Matata and all this, that, and the other, and it's gorgeous, but then one day, Simba wakes up, and he sees his old-time friend named Nala. And Nala's there, and she goes, Simba, I thought you were dead. What's going on? And she says, you need to come back. The world's falling apart without you. You need to come back and reclaim the throne. And he goes, no, I can't do it. You just don't know the guilt. You don't know the things in my life, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, you're a punk. Come on back. And he goes, okay. Comes back, wins the story. It's amazing. Great movie. The new one's coming out in July 19th. Won't be as good as the cartoon, but for those of you who've never saw the cartoon, it'll be great right? So here's the deal. We, we see Simba's story, and we go, how are we going to tie this into Jesus? Well, here's, here's what I think I know that I love about Simba's story, is that he was given a path early on in his life, but he took the long way to get there. See, Simba was told from an early age that he was going to be king. You're going to be the dude that reigns over everything. And yet, through some bad decisions, some trickery, some, some things in his life, he took the long route to get there. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in our life, we see the path that was laid before us, but we take the long way to get there. Let me, let me unpack that. I, I was raised as a, uh, as a pastor's kid. Many of you were probably raised as a just a good old church kid, right? Remember those days you just kind of run around the church, you were one of those crazy kids. Maybe, maybe you had a lock-in. We're not going to speak about lock-ins because we hate lock-ins. Uh, but, you know, maybe, maybe you were raised as a church kid. And so from an early age, your parents kind of instilled into you the things of the Lord. They kind of said, hey, here's the path that you should take. But what we know oftentimes about so many church kids is there may have been a moment they walked down an aisle and they got dunked and, woo, it was amazing. But for so many of them, so many of you, so many of me, what happens? Maybe we kind of drift a little bit. We go to college. You know, it's college. Things happen in college, right? But at some point, hopefully, in your 20s, maybe your 30s, maybe your 40s, the Lord did a work in your life, and you kind of started coming back to the church, and you started to see the grace of the Lord, and you started to see the mercy of the Lord, and you started to say, man, you know, I, I really wish I would have lived this way for a long time and seen this. So many of the youth workers that I've worked with over the years that's so much of their story. When we're communicating with students, we go, I wish I would have known now, nope, then. I wish I would have known then what I know now. Like, I wish I could tell you as you 16-year-old kid, you just kind of flip through life and you just kind of wake up. I wish that you would know the importance of what it means to follow Jesus. Some of you, that's your story. You're that kind of church kid where you kind of veered away from the path. I think all of us can attest to this. 
A lot of us in this room, all of us probably in some way, shape, or form are procrastinators. Right? There's something in your life where you go, man, I should do that. You have that list. Or I should do this. Or maybe I should stop doing that. And if we relate it to our, our life when we follow Jesus, we kind of go, man, I really should read my Bible more. I really should pray more. I really should do this more. I really should stop saying that. I really should stop doing that. And we have this kind of path. We see the things that we should maybe get rid of in our life. We see the things through, through the curtain go, oh, man, there's the end goal, but I've got all this stuff in my way, and somehow I've kind of veered off the path, and I've got all this stuff, and I need to get rid of it to get back on the path. Or, or what about this one? In Romans 1, God makes it pretty clear to us that all of mankind has been shown the Father. All of mankind. Through creation, He screams, Hey! I'm right here. That's what the Lord screams to us. We see this in Romans 1. But yet what we also see in Romans 1 is that this path is laid before us to all mankind. That path of knowing the Lord is laid before us. But because we harden our hearts and we suppress the truth, unfortunately, many of us ignore the path. Many of us say, yeah, that path's not for me. I'm going to come over here. And unfortunately, we don't ever even make it back to path. And, and this is Simba's story. This is your story and my story of how do we see the path and stay on the path of following Jesus? How can we in our day in and day out life live with true religion? How do we do this? How do we follow Jesus? And that's what we're going to look at to answer this morning in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, if you'll read it with me. Know this, my beloved, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, a, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, de but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So last week we ended in verse 18. And we ended with this idea that, J that Jesus has redeemed us, he has claimed us in verse 18 as his first fruits. Now this is pretty cool. I, I, I don't know if you think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. So we're, we're Jesus's first fruits. So if you think about the whole narrative of, of God and our story and his story, we were created perfect, perfect world. Everything was going great. And then those two people who could have easily been me or you, they messed up. They sinned. They fell short of the glory of God. And because of that, sin entered into the world. And then there was a separation between God and us. 
and really the world fell. Death came in, this just massive separation. But then God made a plan. He sent his son Jesus to die for me, for me and for you. And through that reconciliation, through that sacrifice of Jesus, we can become uh, heirs, we can become co-heirs is what he calls us, with Christ. We can be redeemed back to the world, back to the Lord, excuse me. And the real full plan, if you continue to fast forward, is that God is going to redeem everything. He, he's the ultimate restorer. And there in James 1.18, he says, you are the first fruits. You're the first thing that I restored. Now, think about when you're doing a project. Maybe you've got a, a new job and you've got to go into a business or a corporation or something that's broken. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to fix something that's going to make an impact in the rest of the business. You're going to fix something that's going to have much larger implications than that just that one single thing. And here God looks at me and you and he says, you are my first fruits. You are my first thing that I will restore. I will bring you back. That's a glorious picture. We are the first work in the Lord's restorative prop, uh, process. Then he says, since you are that first work, in verse 19 he goes to say, here's what a first work looks like. Here's what it looks like to have true religion. Here's what it looks like to follow after me. And James begins to inform us of these things, of, hey, here's some things that your life needs to look like. Keep in mind, this letter is really the first letter that is written, that, that his, historically, it's the first letter written to the church. And he's writing to this church, these people who, for the most part, would have been really Jewish, but they've, they've accepted Christ, and they're trying to figure out what it looks like now to accept Christ, but to be Jewish and kind of battle all of that. And so this idea of religion is pretty important. Because the Jews had a pretty religious type of sanctimony in their life. They had, they, had, they had systems and rituals and all these things they went through. And so this is pretty important. And I think for me and you, we have those same things set up. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But I want to ask a question of what would it look like to be a follower of Jesus? So I started thinking about that. And I, going back to movies, because I love movies. How many of you love a spy movie? I love a good spy movie. They're, they're great. I don't know if it's because I want to be a spy or if it's because I want to catch a spy, but that looks really cool. And so I started asking the question of what would it look like to be a spy? Because I think TV paints this picture and movies paint this glorious, you know, they just travel around. They've, they've got everything they want, all the money. They can blow up the car that's in front of them because it's going too slow or it's out at a red light. It's cool, right? But not that I'm going to blow up a car, but... They've got all these things. And so I actually found an article by, by an, an ex-spy who said, here are some things to look for if you're looking for a spy. He, he gives you several questions. The first question, is he on Facebook or is she on Facebook? We won't discriminate. Uh, there's, there's female spies out there too, and they will get you, right? He or she, are they on Facebook? If your answer is yes, then they are not a spy. That's what they say. If your answer is yes, you know, so if anybody in this room is on Facebook, we know you're good. Number two, are they always the most entertaining person at a cocktail party? If your answer is yes, they are not a spy, right? Probably not. They're not going to stand out. Have they told you that they work for the CIA? If they have, they're probably not a spy. 
Are they the head of the neighborhood association or do they coach some sort of local sports group? If the answer is yes, guess what? They're not a spy. I love this one. Are their vacations typical? Now, he defines typical. Just I, I need typical. I don't know about this. I, I, we need typical. You know, like two weeks in Italy. <laughs> Are their vacations typical? You know, like two weeks in Italy. If the answer is yes, then they're not a spy. See, my answer would have been like, they're definitely a spy. Two weeks in Italy. Who goes to Italy for two weeks? How is that normal? Anyway, for those of you who have been in Italy for two weeks, I, I applaud you. You're amazing. I love your life. Next. Do you know a lot about this person? Yes or no? If you say yes, guess what? They're probably not a spy. All of those things, if they're on Facebook, if they're public, if people know a lot about them, guess what? They're probably not a spy. So I thought about this, and I go, man, as a Christ follower, what are the things in our life that we go, all right, check, yes, check, no, this person probably loves Jesus, this person probably doesn't love Jesus. What are some of the things that point to our true religion? And James gives this to us. Summarize. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Be meek, be humble. Watch your tongue. Help those who cannot help themselves. Notice he didn't say anything about go to church. He didn't say anything about give a lot of money. He didn't say anything about volunteer. He didn't say anything about, oh, get your kids super involved. Not that any of those things are bad, but he didn't say those specifically there. And I found it interesting to go, huh, why, why does he kind of give us all these actions? You know, we're supposed to be about faith, not necessarily works, but sure there's a balance. Why does he give us these things? And really, at the end of, those day, at the end of the day, if you kind of summarize those things, you would kind of say, man, that, that person's probably just, they're probably just a good person. They're probably just someone who is just good. But then he ends all of that. He says, do all of these things. But then in verse 21, he says this, receive with meekness. The implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. See, true religion is not based on your work. It's based on the sufficient work of Christ. It's based on what he did, not what you do. Being a good person apart from Christ probably means that you're really not that good of a person. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that our best things are like filthy rags. So, so why is James showing us this battle of works and faith and this tug of war? But then he camps it all. We need to receive the word. And he does this because he knows that our works are dead outside of Christ. We need a, a filling of the Holy Spirit. We need to be renewed. We need to be a new creation. We need to be that first Fruit. Titus 3.5 says it like this. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. People of true religion do not get it naturally. It doesn't just happen through osmosis. The works are the result of the Lord's goodness. And we discuss these works with this new nature, and we, and we kind of look at these things, 
And there has to be a faith. There has to be a faith behind these, these works. Although these works are required, there has to be faith. So what is the, what is the juxtaposition? What is the argument and the tension between these two? And if you look in Scripture, the tension is the battle of flesh. The tension is that although when we were made new in Christ, our spirit is brand new, this is still failing. This is still dead. If you continue to live your life, you're going to die. Crickets, right? No one loves to hear that. But you're going to die. That's just what's going to happen because we're, we're dead. Like the outside is going to die. But our spirit continues to live on. Paul says it like this in Romans 7. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers himself, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He describes this battle that we see in Ephesians 6.12, this this spiritual battle. And what we need to live in is an understanding that our flesh is fallen, but Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome our weakness. He's overcome our shortcomings. He has captured it, and he said, I have gone before you victorious. Following Jesus with our actions is much more of a choice to follow him as opposed to a choice to do the right thing. Let me say that again. Following Jesus with our actions, those things that you do, is much more of about a choice to follow him than to do the right thing. Because the right thing is kind of subjective. Your right thing might not be my right thing or might not be the right thing. It's not my truth. It's not your truth, right? That's what we like to say in our modern day context. But at the end of the day, making a right decision is making the Lord's decision. It's making a decision to say, God, I surrender. What would you have me do? What step would you have me take right here in life today? We have to choose Jesus instead of just good things. So I kind of tie this back into to Simba. If we, if, we, if we look back to Simba's story, if you were in here at the beginning, we played that, that song, Oh, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. And if you kind of break down the lyrics of Simba, what Simba really wanted was the power and the allure that comes with being king. But what he really didn't want in that moment was the responsibility that comes with being king. He just kind of wanted the, the, the stuff, but he didn't want the responsibility. And I think oftentimes in our world, on our path, that we maybe we think we're following Jesus, we say, I want people to like me. I want to be a good person. I want to do this. I want to be respected in the community. I want to be the PTSA mom of the year. I want to be the coach and the dad of the year. I want to be all these things. None of these things are bad. But if we strive for those things, we miss the goal of Jesus. But if we strive with Jesus, we may attain those goals in our life as well. It may happen. I can't guarantee. I can't promise. But here's what I can say. Following Jesus is the right thing. Other things just fall short. Following Jesus is the right thing. And so James really in this passage says you've got to be a new creation. You're this first fruit. Okay, here's what it looks like to be a first fruit. And then he goes on to say true religion serves. 
True religion is about a person who serves. He says in 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Over and over again throughout Scripture, God makes it pretty clear that we are to speak for those that can't. We're to stand for those who cannot stand. We are to help those who are oppressed. In Isaiah 117, he says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Proverbs 31.9, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then in Luke 14, he tells us a, a difficult story. Jesus begins to tell us this story of a person who goes to throw a dinner party. And he says, all right, man, put this dinner party together, cool, but don't invite your rich friends. Don't invite the people who don't really need the party or the people who would maybe in return throw you a party. Invite those who could really benefit from this party. 14, 12, he says this. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. I think the most important part before we kind of unpack that is that this is not an event-based religion. This is not something that, ooh, Pastor Jerry, Pastor Chris, and Ben, we put together this really cool thing on Sunday morning, and we're going to go serve in the community. Those are great. If that is the total substance of your servitude, we're, we're missing something. What I mean, what I think Jesus is trying to get us to is a place where we are in constant service to those around us. It's not just about helping the, the, the oppressed and the poor. It's also about being a good friend. It's also about being in a place where your ear can be there to help somebody who needs to talk. Where you can maybe help somebody move who, who needs a hand moving. Or you can help somebody who's hurt. You, can, you need to be in a place and in a posture in our lives to serve. And this is messy. This is, this is tough stuff, guys. Like, this is not easy. I mean, when Jesus tells us to throw this kind of party, I go, oh, really? I mean, like, just invite strangers into my house? Like, that's, I got kids, God. I got kids, right? Is that the right thing to do? But then James kind of says this in, in, in chapter 2, in verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. Now, I think there's a logic to our faith. I think what James is kind of getting at here is in life we oftentimes swing the pendulum. And here's what I mean. So Maybe somebody comes to you, and you're that overly spiritual person. You got five bucks in your back pocket, but you go, I'm going to pray for you, and God will provide everything. You're starving now, but I'm going to pray for you, and God's just going to provide everything. He's going to get you, brother. He's going to get you. Da-da-da-da-da. Amen. Bye. And they walk away, and you got that five bucks sitting right there. Is that, I mean, is that really, you think that was the best thing to do? Uh, just, here go. <clears throat> or, or what about the opposite side where we don't have faith in moments, where we, we structure our budget, we structure our lives without a lack of faith 
and we just say, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to I'm going to work everything out on my own. I'm not going to leave any room open. I'm not going to leave doors open. Every I is going to be dotted. Every T is going to be crossed. And there's no room for faith in our lives. We need to have a balance. There's a logic to understand that, hey, man, this person's hungry. Prayer will help them. Your five bucks might have helped them a little more right there in that moment because they're hungry. They're starving. How do we get to this place of serving? How, How do we get to a place where we are actually just kind of bending over backwards to help someone in need, to, to walk on a path where the people in our life can feel like, hey, they're always available. No matter what I've got going on, I can pick up the phone and I can cry to them. I can vent to them. I can do whatever. They're available. When they heard about something in my life, they were there. They were a place. They were always in that place to receive me. Maybe they went and sought after me. Maybe they knew that I was going through something, and they said, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm here to encourage you. That's what it looks like to serve. How do we get there? I think he answers the question. He kind of gets to this point where true religion is connected. That's the second. So true religion serves, and true religion is connected. So at the end of this passage in 127, Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God of the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To keep oneself unstained from the world. So to stay unstained from the world means to, it's kind of a reference to keeping the thoughts of this world and kind of the sin of this world at bay. To kind of keep it away. And so the things around us, the things that are shaping us, and, and molding us are not the things of this world, but rather the things and the people of God. See, over time, as believers, we have a tendency to let these, out, these external stimulus change who we are. We, we have a tendency to let TV change the way we think and the way we speak. Our movies and music, those things influence who we are. Or maybe we have some friends who kind of lean this direction and so we start leaning this direction but what God really tells us to do is to lean into his word and to lean into his people not the world here's a few examples the world teaches us that those who don't have the necessities of life are oftentimes lazy or broken in large part that's kind of what the world teaches us but God teaches us that those who don't have are still his sons and daughters they're made in the image of God The world teaches us to build savings and 401ks as safety nets. And if there's anything extra, then go and support people. But God teaches us that the birds of the sky don't fret about their next meal. So why should we? We should give generously, build build savings accounts out of wisdom, but rely on him for our needs. The world teaches us that this life is all we get. But God teaches us that this is but a pit stop. The world teaches us that we should fall that we should all find our own way. Be unique. Be you. But God teaches us that we were individually and uniquely made for each other. There's a military phrase out there, I guess in regards to the military, and it says, I can't be me without you. And it's just kind of a reference to all of those who have served in the military to say, thank you for your service because the freedoms that I receive I could not have received without your sacrifice. That's a huge statement. And in many ways, it's the same statement that we should make of the Lord and of the church. 
I can't be me without you. I need the church to hold me up. And, and this is important. I think when you look back to, to Simba's story, what did Nala do? Simba ran. He, he, was, he was kind of fleeing from his path. Nala finds him. And she says, dude, come back. This whole thing is falling apart. We need you. She pretty much Matthew 18s the entire situation. It says, you're wrong. What is wrong with you? Come back. And he comes back. And he doesn't fight alone. He didn't just all of a sudden win the whole thing by himself. What happened? His little hippie friends, Timon and Pumbaa, they join the rank. Pride land, they're all about it. Everyone's fighting him. You got giraffes out there biting ears and stuff. I mean, they're just doing it. Like, they're all fighting together. It ain't about the, the strength of Simba. It was about the strength of the pride. What if we as a body of believers said, we're going to look towards Christ and we're going to walk with each other. We're going to look towards Christ. We're going to walk towards, we're going to walk with each other. Uh, Clay, come up here real quick. King, come up here real quick. Rusty, come up here real quick. Kenny, come up here real quick. Jay, come up here real quick. Is that, do I have any other elders? These are all elders. Hey, give, our, give around for our elders. They're good. Did I miss one? Did I miss one? They're all here today? Okay, hey. Uh, y'all, actually, y'all get on the floor. Don't come up here. Get on the floor. Uh, hey, can I walk in front, Garrett? Am I good? Am I going to blow up? Okay. Hey, y'all, uh, y'all join arm in arm real quick. Arm in arm. Just kind of chain link fence. Here we go. All right, so here, here's what oftentimes we do in the church. And, and, and don't get me wrong, this is not bad. This is just life. This is what we do. All of us are united in our beliefs. We love Jesus. We serve with Jesus. We follow Jesus. Once a week, this is what we look like, right? And then Monday comes. Rusty works at the bank. He's a coach. He's got three kids. He's crazy. He's awesome. A lot of things going on, right? But what does Rusty have to do? Rusty has to start kind of, kind of hey, come over here, Rusty. Start, start coming over here. Rusty has to start come, kind of walking this direction a little bit, right? King, same thing. He's remodeling a bathroom, a bunch of different life, you know, selling stuff. You need to buy anything. King's got it, right? He's good. So King, he starts walking kind of in his direction. Come, come over here, King. Start walking this way, all right? All right, Clay, most important man in making, right? This is just <laughs> this, this is who it is, right? And so Clay, come on, brother. Come on. He just he, he starts walking. We're going. I shouldn't have started the whole funny thing after somebody because they got to keep that going. Here's Kenny, the voice of making, right? So keep walking. Kenny, Kenny's got a lot going on in his life. He's busy. He's huge, right? He's an amazing dude. He, he took a picture of somebody famous on ABC or CBS the other day. I was I mean, wow. Here we go. And Jay Gillis, you probably never heard him speak, but he's brilliant. He's an engineer, smart dude. The only thing wrong with him is he loves tech. But anyway, here we go. So Jay Gillis, he's walking over here. Great dude. Now, y'all reach out your hands real quick. All right. They're not really touching. They're not really connected. Now, there might be a phone call or two that comes here and there. And so they, King, and, King and the rest of y'all take a step together, right? Okay. They got a little, you know, Bible study that's happening. They're cool, right? They're connected. You know, Clay and Kenny, maybe same sort of deal. They, they have lunch, right? They have lunch together, right? And so they're spurring each other on. Oh, man, I love the Lord. How's your life going? Woo-hoo! And then here's old Jay. Here's old Jay. And unfortunately, what happens in the church is we have the best intentions. We have the best intentions to lock arms and to walk with each other, but somehow through the busyness of life and all the things that come down, we just get separated. Y'all give the elders a hand. Thank you, guys. But what if, what if we decided as a body of Christ to take his word serious and say, man, that servant stuff looks really difficult. It's really hard to put myself out there, but when I got someone on my left, 
with someone on my right, I can walk together and we can do it. Sure, there's going to be times where we get stretched. There's going to be times we've got to give a little bit because we've got busyness of life. But what if we as a body said, I care for the person on my left and my right? Like deeply care, not just like, hey, I want to know how they're doing, but like I really want to be invested into their life. We would be a wall walking into this world going, look what true religion is. Look at the love of, look at the ways it's making an impact in our city. That's a big thing. That's a huge move, and it's hard. Hebrews 24 says we should spur each other on for good works. For those of you who are outdoorsmen or cattlemen, think about what a spur is. Think about kicking a spur into the side of livestock. It hurts. I've never been a livestock, but I can imagine that it hurts. It ain't easy. And I think that word there is very intentional to spur us on to good works because good works aren't easy. So sometimes we need to kick in the rear and say, let's go. Let's move. Let's take a step together. I can't take a step by myself because I'm not strong enough. Christ in me has given me the power to look at the church and say, let's walk together, brothers and sisters. Let's do this. We can do this. What the world needs to see from us is a united people standing in love for Christ. That's the path. That's where we're going. When Simba stood with the pride, he didn't just stand alone. Sure, he got a lot of the credit. But without them, who was he? He was nothing. How do we get connected? The easiest one for all of us, when we walk in on Sunday mornings, do we see this time as a, oh, pour into me. Oh, let me receive. Let me sit here and just get this message poured over me, get this worship poured over me, or do we come in and say, I'm going to pour into my brother and sister. I'm going to come in with my cup like this, just pouring one out for my homies. Right? I'm doing it. I'm helping each other out. If you didn't pick up context, I'm sorry. But I'm helping my brother and sister out in this room. Maybe you want to be in a community group and you want to say, I'm going to sacrifice some time out of my busyness and I'm going to care for the people in my room. Maybe uh, for the last two years, I've met with three or four guys in the morning for about an hour every single week. And we've walked through scripture together. We've walked through life and we just said, we want to pour into each other. We want to see each other become better, better disciples of Christ who then go make other disciples of Christ. Maybe you need that kind of thing. Maybe you need to be a person who gets plugged in to some sort of volunteering. I'm not going through the whole list, but there's a million things you can do to take a step. And if you want to take a step, I'm here to help you. The elders are here to help you. One of these other brothers and sisters are here to help you. Let's take a step. As the band comes up, I'm closing, I promise. Jesus left his throne, and he chased after the one. He left that 99, we see in that parable, and he chased after the one. And I think oftentimes when we think of faith and religion and following after Christ, we kind of go, man, this is my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, and that's so true. It is your relationship with Jesus. No one else can get to heaven for you, but here is what also, is what also true. We need the 99 sheep. We need him. I need you to make me a better executive pastor. Brooks needs you to make him a better worship pastor. And I think even more important, let's get, let's get rid of that. I need you to make me a better follower of Christ. 
I need you to help me. I need you to spur me on. Because when you start taking the steps and you start saying, hey, Chris, where you at? Chris, you coming? What's going on? What am I going to do? All right, let's do this. Let's go. But oftentimes we wake up and we go, who's on my left? Who's on my right? What, what y'all doing back there? What if we walked together? What if we took a step in faith? I said, I'm following out the Lord. Let's go, church. Let's do this. That's my prayer for us.